Amen. Thank you, ladies. Take your Bibles out today and turn with me to Romans chapter 5. And we're going to look this morning at the subject matter, Christian blessings. Romans chapter 5, Christian blessings. And as you find your place in your copy of God's Word, I do want to ask you to pray this morning for the gentle family. Eric and Amy Gentle, they're in the emergency room right now as we're meeting together. Uh, some of you know Eric and Amy from the choir. Uh, Eric's only in his mid-50s, uh, but when he was only 46 years of age, was diagnosed with early-onset Alzheimer's. And uh, Eric has been doing uh, declining rather rapidly here lately, and he has... Uh, apparently taking a nasty fall this morning, and they are in the uh, ER. So let's just pray uh, for that family after we read our text. Would you stand for the reading of God's Word? In Romans 5, verse 1, Paul says, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through Him... We have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows His love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ through whom we have now received reconciliation. Father, we're so grateful for what you have done for us through Christ. Without him, without your grace and mercy, we would have no hope. We would have no future. We would have no present peace either. Lord, help us to fully grasp and fully understand the redemption that we have in Christ, and God, may our lives be changed by this truth. Lord, open our understanding this morning to your word. And Lord, we do pray for the gentle family and any other family in our church that needs strength and healing and help and comfort right now. That you would be a shepherd to them and supply their every need. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Some years ago, Look Magazine ran a personality feature entitled Peace of Mind. 
And in that article, they went around and they interviewed some prominent Americans and they wanted to hear from them what they did to find peace in their lives. First of all, they went to James Michener, the author of many best-selling books at the time. And James Michener said that he found peace by taking his two dogs for a walk along old streams and unplowed fields. Barry Goldwater, the former senator from Arizona and former Republican presidential candidate, said that he found peace in his hobbies, photography, boating, flying, and camping, and above all, long walks in the Grand Canyon. Former CBS News anchorman Walter Cronkite said he found peace in solitude and usually by going out to sea in his small fishing vessel. As you hear those stories, you can't help but notice how subjective their approaches are. They were looking for something in the world, something related to good circumstances to bring them some type of peace of mind in their lives. But you also hear something else. Each and every one of them considered peace as something that was very important to acquire. I want to say to you today, if you are restless in seeking peace, the fifth chapter of the book of Romans has a great deal to say to you. I want to point out that this chapter is not talking about the peace of God. It is talking about peace with God. Philippians 4 speaks of the peace of God. And ladies and gentlemen, I want to say to you that you can only enjoy the peace of God if first of all you have peace with God through Jesus Christ our Lord. That's got to be taken care of first and foremost. And I think this is one of the areas in which the world gets it so upside down because people in the world want peace without considering the Prince of Peace. They're looking for peace that is only going to be elusive or temporary at best. In order to have peace, man first of all needs peace with God. You see, the Bible declares that we have been at war with God. The scripture describes unregenerate man as being at enmity with God. And we in that condition are all under his wrath. Ephesians 2 says, And you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. And folks, in that condition, we were deserving of God's just condemnation. And yet God, through Christ, offers a righteousness that is by faith in Christ. Romans chapter 4 is a great example of what Paul's talking about here. 
Abraham was justified by faith. He was not justified by the law. He predated the law. He was not justified by circumcision. Circumcision came 14 years after Abraham was credited by God as being righteous. In Romans 4, Paul reached the climax in his argument that we are only justified by faith in Jesus Christ. It is a free gift. There's nothing you and I can do to earn it or deserve it. Now as Paul opens Romans chapter 5, he talks about the benefits that we have for being in Christ. You see, there are consequences of being in Christ and those consequences or those benefits are wonderful. There's consequences of not being in Christ and those are devastating. And he writes of those in verse 12 where he says, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sin, just like there's bad consequences to being outside of Christ, there are good and wonderful consequences consequences to being in Christ and I want us to look at five of those this morning first of all I want you to see that being justified by faith in Christ we have peace with God he says therefore since we've been justified by faith we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ peace with God is the first benefit to those who are justified by faith in Christ Now, at this point, we run into a slight textual problem. Some translations say, therefore, since we've been justified by faith, we have peace. Others say, let us go on to enjoy peace. Some translate it in the subjunctive because there's better manuscript evidence for that. But as commentators point out, Paul is not offering admonitions here. He is stating facts. And the first fact is that if you've been justified with, by God uh, through faith in Jesus Christ, you are already even now in a state of peace with God. Now, folks, I want, you to, I want you to think of the magnitude of that. Do you and I really realize what it means to be at peace with God? Do we really understand the magnitude of what it meant to be lost? To be outside of the promises of God, outside of the redemption that He offers to be under his just and holy condemnation. And if we die in that state, we go into an eternity without Christ. But coming to God through faith in Jesus Christ, the Bible says we are now in a state of having been reconciled to a holy God. We stand justified in his sight and we are even now at peace with God. If you're in Christ, you're in a state of peace with God. And you never have to fear the condemnation of your sin. Let that sink in today. Believers have peace with God. 
A change has taken place in our standing before God. You are no longer God's enemy. You are his adopted child with all the rights and privileges thereof. God's wrath has been taken through Christ. Everything that you deserved, everything that I deserved, when Christ died there at Calvary's cross, He bore the wrath of God. He was your propitiation for your sins. He's the one who bore all of God's wrath against sin. And He died in your place and He took your punishment. Turn back with me to Romans chapter 3. Romans chapter 3 beginning in verse 21. Romans 3, 21 and following says, But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe, for there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by His grace as a gift. Through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Having been justified, we have peace. It is a certainty. It is not something that you have to wonder about. It is not something that you have to doubt. It is something that you possess. And it's even in the present tense. Now I want you to think with me a moment about the significance of that. There are a lot of benefits coming to the believer that quite frankly we're going to have to wait until heaven to receive. A lot of benefits are future. Jesus spoke about in eternity we will sit down at the table one day with such figures as Moses and Noah and all of the apostles. Isn't that going to be wonderful? That's future. That's a future benefit. But he's talking right now in this first verse about a present reality and a present benefit you and I have. Even now you have peace with God through Jesus Christ. That doesn't mean that we're sinless. That we don't need to work on our fellowship with God. However, our standing before God, our peace with God is a done deal and we enjoy its privileges even now. You know, one of the most important principles of Bible interpretation though is, is that not everything written in the Bible is for everyone. Now that statement might shock you, but just think about it. Think about even now in your everyday life, as you go to your mailbox every day. What if your postman delivered the wrong mail? What if he put your, your bills in somebody else's mailbox? Wouldn't that be great? At least if they paid them. 
But it wasn't their mail, it was your mail, and, and maybe you got their mail. The mail was mixed up. Well, not everything in the Bible is for everyone. Verse 1 is not for those who are outside of Christ. Verse 1 is only for those who have been born again and redeemed through Christ. Some of you in here this morning, there's not a doubt in my mind, some of you in here this morning have never been born again. New Year's Day, in that one service, I preached on that text about Nicodemus. And Jesus said to Nicodemus, a religious man, unless you've been born again, you will not see the kingdom of heaven. And there are some of you in here this morning, for all we know, you are dangerously close to an eternity without Christ. You don't have peace with God. You're under His wrath. You need to come to Christ. But if you've come to Christ, this mail right here is for you. You have peace with God. Second benefit. Being justified by faith in Christ, we have access to God. He says in verse 2, Through Him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. He says we've obtained our inheritance by faith into this grace in which we stand. We stand in grace. We are saved by grace and we stand in grace. Salvation is described here as a place where we stand. It's something we have now and enjoy now. And his point here is that through Christ and this grace in which we stand, we have obtained our introduction or our access. Paul is saying that we're able to go into God's presence through Christ. You know, it's this point in the Bible that I sure am glad I am a part of the new covenant and not the old covenant. Because under the old covenant, the Old Testament, this would have been something that they would not have even thought of. That the average person can go into the very presence of God, can go into the Holy of Holies. Folks, not even all the priests could do that. There was only one priest, the high priest, who could do that. And he couldn't do it every day. He could only do it one day a year as he went in on the Day of Atonement into the Holy of Holies. But Paul is saying every day, every believer at all times can go into the very presence of God, can go into the Holy of Holies because Jesus Christ our Lord has opened the way. Now that would have been a real good place for an amen. <laughs> if you know Christ, you have access to God. I enjoyed listening one time to an analogy to this by Dr. Tony Evans. Dr. Tony Evans is an African-American pastor in the Dallas, Texas area. And I don't know if he still is, but at one time he was the chaplain for the Dallas Mavericks. 
Being a chaplain for the Dallas Mavericks, they gave him a little key code where he could get in anywhere the players and the coaches could go. Dr. Tony Evans could go. And one day he invited a friend to go with him to the game. And the friend drove and, and they pulled into the parking lot that was labeled as being only for the coaches and the players. And the guest said, uh, Tony, I can't park in there. And Tony said, yes, you can because you're with me. They parked and they got on the elevator again for the players and the coaches. And the guest said, can I ride this elevator? Tony said, yes, you can because you're with me. They went into a, a room where they were serving the Mavericks a big uh, uh, steak dinner a couple hours before the game and the coaches were kind of giving them a pep rally and, and, and Tony walked in there and there was a place there for his guest and his guest said you mean I can sit down here and enjoy a dinner with all the players and the coaches and Tony looked at him and said yes I told you you can cause you're with me and then during the game, they sat right in behind the players. And again, a spot was reserved for that guest. And Tony looked at him and said, don't worry about it. Yes, you can sit here. That chair is for you because you're with me. You see what Paul is saying here in verse 2 about Jesus Christ. This is what has happened to us because of the work of Jesus Christ. Christ. You might say, you mean to tell me that I can go into the very presence of God? Jesus would respond by saying, yes, you can because you're with me. Hebrews 10 says, therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain that is his flesh, and since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Now the word for access here in verse 2 is the Greek word prosagoge. Prosagoge and Sande and Hedlam in their classic commentary on Romans say that the idea is of an introduction to the presence chamber of a monarch. We do not come in our own strength but we need an introducer. We need a mediator in this case. Christ. In other words, you don't go into the presence of a king without somebody to take you. Try going to the White House this week and waltzing in to the Oval Office. Let's see how far you get. We'll be coming to visit you in jail. If you want to get into the White House and get into the Oval Office, you've got to have a mediator. You've got to have an introducer. You've got to have a prosagoge. Somebody who gives you access. And verse 2 is saying the benefit of being a Christian is not only that you have peace with God, but you have access because of your prosagoge, Jesus Christ, who's your mediator. Paul said to Timothy, there is one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus.
Now there's also an Old Testament story that illustrates this. It's not the perfect application, but, but it does the job, I think. It's the story of Esther in the Old Testament. The Medo-Persian Empire has defeated the Babylonians. And so now Xerxes is in power. And Xerxes decides that he's going to have this great old big banquet and he's going to invite all of his nobles and all of his governors to this big banquet and he's going to show off all the treasures of the Persian kingdom. And they get there to that big banquet and Xerxes has a knockout for a wife. I mean, she's a real looker, Vasti. And he says, you know what, I think I want to show off Vasti's beauty. And so he sends a command to her that she is to parade herself before all of these nobles and all of these governors. And Xerxes is wanting to show off his wife. And you know what her answer was? No, I'm not going to do it. Uh Uh-oh. What are we going to do now? All the nobles get together and say, Xerxes, you got to do something because if you don't deal with Vashti and what she's done, there's not a wife of any man in the kingdom who's going who's to listen to her husband. And it's going to be problems. you got to deal with her. And so you remember the story. He sent Vashti away and there was a search made for a new queen. And of course, in God's sovereignty, Esther was chosen. Now Esther was a Jew and there was a wicked man by the name of Haman. And Haman wanted to exterminate all of the Jews. He was the Hitler of his time. He wanted to get rid of all the Jews. And he was like the head counselor, one of the head counselors to Xerxes. And so he's going in and appealing to the king that he'd wipe out all the Jews. Mordecai, Esther's uncle comes to her and says, Esther, you've got to go in to the king and you've got to represent your people. You've got to carry our needs before the king and you've got to save us. And she says, well, there's a problem to that. Nobody can go into the presence of the king without being summoned. He says, Esther, for such a time as this, God's put you in this position. She says, okay, I'll do it. And if I die, I die. She goes before the presence of Xerxes. And you remember, Xerxes looks and he sees her. And the Bible says that he looks with favor upon her. And he extends the royal scepter to her. And she comes into his presence. And as she comes into his presence, she represents all the... She's an advocate for all of her people, and her people are saved. Well, again, folks, that's a picture of Christ. Because he goes into the presence of God representing us, taking all of our needs before God. He's our advocate Not only does he take all of our needs into the presence of the Father, but the Bible says through Christ you and I can go into the presence of the Father. Isn't that great? You have access to God. Access to God through Jesus Christ. You have that now. 
Third benefit, being justified by faith in Christ, we exult in hope of the glory of God, he says in verse 2. What Paul's talking about here is the future, being justified by faith in Christ. We have the assurance that one day we're going to be with Jesus. And so we exult in hope of the glory of God because one day all of our trials are going to be over. One day our earthly life is going to be over. But it's not going to be the end for the child of God, absent from the body, present with the Lord we're going to see his glory we're going to be with him remember John in Revelation 1 when he saw the glorified Jesus he fell at his feet as a dead man well one day we're going to see Jesus Peter, James, and John saw the glory of the Lord on the Mount of Transfiguration. Paul saw the glory of the Lord on the road to Damascus. Moses saw it. God hid him in the cleft of the rock and covered his face. And Moses saw the back of God, but he saw the glory of God. And what I want to point out to you this morning is what Moses saw, what Paul saw, what Peter and James and John saw. One day you're going to see if you're a child of God through faith in Jesus Christ. You're going to see the glory of God. Paul says we exult in that. It's like he's saying we can't wait. Folks, now try to wrap your mind around all these points that he's making here. You have peace with God. You have access into the presence of Right now, you have peace with God, access into the presence of God. And one day you have a glorious future when you're with Him in heaven and you exult in the glory of God thinking about that moment. Fourth benefit, being justified by faith in Christ, we rejoice in our sufferings. He says in verse 3, not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings knowing that suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Some of you might be thinking, has Paul gone too far here? Has Paul temporarily lost his mind? He's talking about rejoicing in sufferings? Rejoicing in sufferings? Yes. Yes. We don't want sufferings. We don't want hardships. We don't want trials. Did anybody in here, did one single person that I'm looking at this morning talking to, did one of you wake up this morning in your devotions before breakfast, did even one of you say, God, send me sufferings today. I want hardship. I want trial. Did one of you do? If one of you did that, would you please stand because you're odd. (laughs) Nobody wants it. But you know, as a child of God, the Bible points out, even through our hardships, God is at work to conform us to the image of Christ. And sometimes it's those hardships, those trials, those sufferings that God uses to make us more like Jesus. I've had people say to me before, Pastor, for the life of me, I would not want to go through again what I have been through in recent months. But they'll tell me, but I sure am glad I went through it one time because of what God taught me. 
You see, the child of God has the assurance of Romans 8, 28, that God is working all things together for the good of those who love Him and are the called according to His purpose. Even bad things in your life. What, what the Bible is wanting the believer to understand is there is nothing about your life, not even hardships and sufferings, that's a coincidence or an accident because it's come to you only after first being sifted through the fingers of of your loving heavenly father and God uses those things notice what he says they bring about they bring about endurance and endurance produces character and character produces hope and so it's not in the sufferings themselves but what God is doing through the sufferings that he's saying that the believer can rejoice This is where we're so different from the world. The lost man in the world, all he does is curse his hardships. He doesn't see a purpose in it. But the believer is even able in his sufferings to turn to God and have faith in God that God is up to something good in his life. God gave Paul a thorn in the flesh. And the Greek word for thorn in the flesh is not like a splinter. It's a dagger. And he says, God gave me that dagger for two reasons. First of all, God, God pierced me. God gave me that dagger in the flesh. So first of all, I would be nailed to the earth. In other words, that I would be humble because I had been given that vision and I could be exalted in pride. But God gave me that thorn in the flesh so I would be riveted back down to the earth. And number two, he says, God hammered that nail into my flesh, that thorn in my flesh, that I would also be nailed to God's side in dependency and I would learn to depend upon his sufficiency and so Paul learned to rejoice even in his sufferings and he's saying that you and I can do the same now quickly let me let me point out some, a, a turn in the text that happens at this point it's almost like he's answering a question. Somebody might be reading these verses and thinking, do we really have these benefits and assurances? Yes, we do. And look at what he turns to in verses 6 and following to assure us of that. He points out that being justified by faith in Christ, how God has worked in us in the past shows volumes or says volumes to us about his work in us in the future. You understand what I'm saying? What about the past? Look at verse 6. I'm going to have you underline some phrases. For a while we were still weak. Look at verse 8. While we were still sinners. Look at verse 10. For while we were enemies. Weak, sinners, enemies. Okay, that's speaking of your past. If you're a believer, what did God do? God demonstrated his own love for you in this, that while you were yet sinners, Christ died for you. Isn't that wonderful? While you were in that condition, while you were his enemy, and while you were weak, and while you were a sinner, 
Christ died for you. Now here's how the argument goes. If that's how God treated you when you were weak and a sinner and his enemy, how much more now that you're God's child is he going to freely give you all things? You see what he's saying? Now that you're his child, he's not going to treat you any less than when you were a sinner. And when you were a sinner, he demonstrated his love in dying for you. Do you think now that you're his child, adopted in his family, and your name is written in his book of life, do you think somehow or another now that you belong to him, he's going to forget you? If he was going to forget you, he would have forgot you back then. Seeing how he has worked in the past gives you a blessed assurance of how he's going to work in the future. Another benefit you have as a child of God. God will start what, God will finish what he starts. Wait a minute. There's an old man, and he sees a silhouette. It sure does look like his son. The boy's gait looks like his son. Could it really be? The old man gathers up his robe and takes off running. And the closer he gets to the young man, the faster he runs because the more excited he becomes that, yes, this is his son. He gets up to him, falls on his neck, crying. Quick, bring the family ring. Bring a new robe. Bring sandals for this guy's feet. And while you're at it, kill the fatted calf because this, my son, was dead, but he's alive again. Those who have been made alive in Christ get the ring and the robe and the sandals and the fatted calf. We get all that God has in store for us as his children. Adoption is the picture. You don't adopt a child with the purpose of turning away from that child. You adopt that child so the moment that child gets in your family, he or she has all the rights and privileges of your family. And that's what God has done for us in Christ. Christian blessings. I want to ask you this morning, are you at peace with God through Jesus Christ. Are you at peace with God? Have you been reconciled to God through Jesus Christ? If you don't have peace with God through Jesus Christ, you need to come to Christ. And when you come to Him, that opens the floodgates of God's mercy and grace into your life. Doesn't mean life's always easy. But it means that God will be with you. 
I want you to understand if you are at peace with God through faith in Jesus Christ, all these other benefits he speaks of here are yours. You have access to God. You have help in trials. You have a future hope. That's what God has done for you in Christ. Let's pray together. Father, we're so grateful for these blessings. These Christian blessings that are ours through Jesus Christ our Lord. If there's even one here this morning who does not have peace with you, draw them forth, convict them, bring them to Christ. For those who know they've been reconciled to you, Father, through Jesus Christ your Son, I pray that we would think about these blessings that we have. That we would live out of gratitude. And that we would go boldly into your presence with confidence. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.